0: Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow
1: people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition
0: of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And here we are. And Danny, we're back again. You were you were absent last podcast. You had uh, your daughter's birthday. Oh, you're so, a good dad. Yeah, yeah. Imagine foregoing the podcast for your own daughter. I mean, what do you? What were you thinking? Imagine that. Yeah, yeah. Twenty years old now she is. So. Oh, yeah. But we had uh, we had Tony fill in for you, and he did a great job. And uh, I was speaking with Rachel a little earlier this week Was saying how things sometimes slow down a little bit spirit wise, not always totally, but uh, beings at spring, the, uh, the whole regrowth, you know, spring with the trees uh, creating more energy. Uh, I would suppose that things are picking up and Rachel, what did you say? You said that, yeah, you felt that or
2: Oh yeah, I definitely, I've noticed an increase in activity and, and, in messages and being mm-hmm. reached out so definitely yeah things seem to be amping up again
0: <laughs> well as long as the energy is good energy and uh mm-hmm. good good spirits not like the the creepy thing that uh, our guest has behind him <laughs> on his wall and uh for those of you who obviously can't see um he's got a very large picture of the nun from the conjuring movies behind him and Man, oh, man. That's all I'm going to see the whole time we're talking to him. But (laughs) we would like to welcome Mr. Elliot Van Dusen to the podcast. Elliot, how are you? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you. And thanks for having me on the show. Good. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for being here. Uh, Elliot, as per your bio, uh, obsessed with the paranormal. (laughs) And uh, while that's a, a big word, a strong word, so where did your obsession with the paranormal begin?
1: I've always been interested in the paranormal believe it was shows like unsolved mysteries, uh, that kind of got me really, uh, intrigued in, in, into uh, the paranormal. Um, I always knew that I wanted to be a police officer and loved homicide investigations and those types of TV shows. But I also loved the supernatural and unsolved mysteries, uh, was mostly about unsolved murders and, and, uh, the supernatural. So, Shows like that hooked me right into it, and uh, then once X Files came out, um, I saw you know the characters Fox Mulder and Scully investigating the cases. So I started to look into uh, investigating the supernatural, and then when I moved to Halifax around nineteen ninety seven or so, uh, my mom had seen a newspaper article about a parapsychologist that was teaching a couple of parapsychology courses at the Nova Scotia Community College. So I had signed up for both of those courses and was later asked to join his research group, which was a research and investigative group called the Center for Parapsychological Studies in Canada, and uh, ended up kind of continuing on from there. I took a bunch of courses. Over the years, I still take courses. Uh, I've taken courses from University of Ottawa. I did their witchcraft course. Uh, That was the one good thing about COVID is that was a a class that was designed uh, for you to attend in person. But because of COVID, they had uh, done an online version of it. So I jumped at the opportunity to take that. Um, I've also studied uh, um, Introduction to Parapsychology from the University of Edinburgh, and uh, a bunch of courses from the Ryan Education Center. And like I said, just anything that I can get my hands on, I I usually do.
0: And did you ever have any uh, ghostly encounters as a kid growing up?
1: Not as a kid, no. Uh, I get asked that a lot. Uh, It it wasn't any like a lot of people that are involved in the paranormal. Usually, it sounds like they've had an experience. Um, I didn't have any experiences as a as a as a kid. It wasn't until I started investigating it um, that I ended up, uh, you know, seeing a few things. I saw a UFO sighting once up uh, in Beaver Bank, Nova Scotia on an old uh, abandoned military base used to be a joint Canadian U.S. uh, Air Force base. And we, one night, my investigative team and I were actually up there doing a haunting investigation. And at the end of the haunting investigation, when we were leaving, it was uh, just becoming nighttime. And sure enough, we saw this like strange white light up in the sky. And it was moving very strange from left to right. It was only one color. It was like a bright white light. Uh didn't have any uh, beacon lights or anything like that on it. The cameras that we had had fully charged batteries and they all died on us. We only caught maybe one or two second clip of uh, the UFO. I uh, did some research later on. There was a bunch of websites back in the day that would track uh, satellites, where satellites were and where aircraft was and stuff. This was before nine eleven, of course. Um, and we checked all that and there was nothing in the area at the time. And... um Eventually a, a second white light came down and the two white lights just kind of disappeared. They just shot up into the sky and just disappeared. So that was probably the first strange thing that uh, that I had seen. And then the other thing that I had seen early on when I started investigating this was a really cool haunted house. Um, and luckily I had some of my background. I had taken a diploma in parapsychology from Stratford Career Institute and had taken uh, both of Daryl's courses at the NSCC. And uh, this this family reached out to us saying that uh, they had all kinds of these pennies just showing up in the house, uh, just materializing out of nowhere. And uh, that they believed that they were seeing faces in some of their photographs, and uh, they believed to see uh, see the spirit of their deceased uh, dog. And so we came down, checked the house out, um, did a complete sweep of the house. They showed us the jar that they would keep all these pennies in, they just would find them and toss them in this chair check the kitchen area it was completely clean uh set up the cameras and and had a couple of um, investigators um you know at the house we uh we checked equipment every 30 45 minutes make sure the batteries are still going and everything's good and one of the times when one of the investigators went to go check the camera there was a penny that had appeared right by the the base of the tripod and unfortunately it was out of the camera's view of course naturally (laughs) Um, but we know that nobody had been there it was the type of room where there was only one way in one way out Uh, the dad and the two children were upstairs in bed the mom was with us on the couch the whole time and I could clearly see where the camera was in the tripod and when my investigators would go check the camera I would watch them and I didn't see anyone drop any penny or anything like that um, we also caught uh, strange EMF readings by the stairwell where they would see an apparition walk up and down the stairs. So this uh, we decided that we better check this place out for a second night. So we got permission to go back a couple nights later and brought a bigger team with me this time. And uh, one thing that we did find out is where the EMF readings, the electromagnetic field radiation readings were coming from by the stairwell. One of the investigators that I had with me had decided to cut the power to the house and uh, see if the readings would stay or disappear. And um, they actually disappeared. Uh, So then Once the power went back on, the readings came back and we were able to determine because it was an older house built in the 1800s, uh, it had some unshielded wires and that spot by the stairwell um, was giving off a lot of uh, unhealthy electromagnetic energy. Mm -hmm. But the other interesting thing that happened that night, uh, no other pennies showed up that night, but um, we had two investigators situated outside of the house using night vision and one of them... Um, actually both of them had seen a figure in the upstairs bedroom and they were radioing and asking if any of us were upstairs, but at the time the rest of us were all downstairs. So one of the two investigators that were outside went into the house and went upstairs and went into the bedroom where they saw this figure kind of walking back and forth um, by the window. And he actually saw an apparition of a little girl uh, sitting on the bed. And by the time he called us up uh, to come see it, uh, it had uh, dematerialized, it was gone. We were talking in the room and DMF reader was uh, going off and we ended up opening up a closet door. That was the only place that we hadn't checked. And uh, as soon as we opened that door, there was five of us in the room, five or six of us. And this ice cold Arctic feeling air just kind of like went through all five of us, that's five or six of us at the same time and like took away our breath. That's how like strong it was. And the EMF reader on the bed uh, went off, and then uh, it just kind of dissipated, and there was a very calm feeling in the room after that. So uh, those those were probably my first two um, kind of brushes with the the supernatural, and that was that was early on when I just started investigating it.
0: You know, um, oftentimes when we're recording our our episodes, we get uh, EVPs, uh, we hear voices sometimes. Uh, our last episode with Morgan Knutson from Edmonton. Uh, we heard, it, had a female voice come through several times. And just as you started uh, to tell us about this haunted home and you mentioned the dog, uh, the spirit of the dog, um, Rachel and I could hear voices and I messaged her and I said, did you hear that? Like, did you hear the, the talking in the background? And she was, and she's like, yep, I could hear it. So I don't know if it's coming from your location or, or our the, location the, the only
1: thing you may hear uh is my nine-month-old daughter meadow upstairs screaming maybe well, so if you, heard a, ba- if you well, heard a baby cry that was probably no, it
0: i know the difference between a an evp and and the baby crying this was definitely like a conversation wasn't it, rachel yeah, yeah. definitely but i did hear the baby no, i heard yeah, the
2: yes. baby too i did hear the baby but
0: he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> a screamer any... Whoever's listening, if if, uh, if you hear any voices, let us know, and we'll, we'll get a timestamp going. But uh, uh, very cool, very interesting. Um, you were a police officer for yes. 15 years with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, uh, and you've written a book on uh, law enforcement um, and their encounters with the paranormal. Yes. Uh, you tell us the name of the book and and where how that started. Yeah, it's
1: uh, it's called Supernatural Encounters, True Paranormal Accounts from Law Enforcement. And um, it, had, it was kind of interesting. So I, I wrote my first book uh, called Evil in Exeter, which was about a, a haunting uh, that I investigated in Rhode Island with a family. And then after I wrote that one, uh, my mother actually had encouraged me to continue writing. And I told her, well, I said, you know, certain cases, you know, such as like the house in Kentville I just described and... And, uh, the house in Exeter, uh, they don't come, a, come along every day kind of thing. So I said, I'm not really sure what else I could write about. And then I started thinking, you know, uh, about my two passions, which is law enforcement and, uh, the paranormal. Then I thought, you know, maybe it'd be kind of cool to write a book about, um, uh, law enforcement experience with the paranormal. And there was a couple of books already out about it, uh. They were a few years older though, nothing recent. So I just started by reaching out to some of my coworkers and colleagues and I was surprised that, uh, you know, a few of them um, started telling me some stories. A friend of mine that worked at the courthouse told me a story and another guy that did security at the Halifax shopping center told me a story. And before I knew it, I started collecting all these, these different stories. And I think at the end of the day, I ended up with around 50 stories or so that I collected and then once the book came out of course people i always put my contact information in the book and uh, my website and stuff so um, people started contacting me other law enforcement people with more stories and so um, i started collecting them and and i'm working on a sequel to that which i hope uh, hope will be out in the fall but I don't know if it was because of my background in law enforcement and the fact that people knew I was involved in researching and investigating the paranormal, that they felt comfortable with me to talk about it because a lot of law enforcement people don't really talk about the paranormal. Um, I, it depends on the environment you're in, the environment that I worked in. Um, people were not so receptive to the paranormal. But then I talked to a detective that was down in South Florida, and he said they actually uh you know, they actually came to him with strange cases and stuff like that. Like they actually used them as a resource rather than uh, make fun of them and and harass them and stuff like that. So um, I think a lot of law enforcement are really cautious probably on who they tell their stories to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it just kind of, it just kind of evolved uh, from an idea that I had. And, and uh, like you said, it's, it's worked out really well because uh, I'm getting even more interesting stories and stuff uh, that I'm, writing up now
0: so I I read a story uh where uh, an officer uh, used to work he was with the Pennsylvania State Police and in his they call them barracks we call them detachments um they had a number uh by the front desk saying if you you've encountered uh, or if you receive any sighting, you know reports of seeing the uh, Sasquatch UFOs any paranormal activity that you were they were to refer them to this number that was on this sticker that was on the front desk. It almost seems like a little X-Files-ish, right? A little, yeah, uh, for sure. But did, did the RCMP ever have anything like that that you know of?
1: Uh, the one thing that the RCMP did have back in the, before the 80s, before the 80s, the 80s was really the end of it. The RCMP actually used to investigate UFO sightings. And one thing that I had come across, which was kind of interesting when I was going to university, I went to St. Mary's University in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I had had a meeting with uh, Chris Stiles, UFOlogist that's here from uh, Halifax. He's um, famous for working on the Shag Harbor UFO crash. So we were having coffee one day and he told me that um, the RCMP used to send their files to St. Mary's University and have Father Burke Gaffney, who was an astronomer, um, look at all their UFO reports. And he said that there was an archive that I would have access to as a student um, in the library with these UFO sightings. So sure enough, uh, I went back to uh, St. Mary's University after our meeting, Uh, went to the library, pulled the archives, and there was a couple hundred pages uh, worth of UFO um, reports. There was news articles, there was police reports, there were uh, faxes back and forth from Father Burke Gaffney to the RCMP. And, um, that was, that was really interesting. And I also got the files from the national archives in Canada that Chris Stiles had copied. So that was a lot easier. He just photocopied them for me and they had a ton of RCMP files in there. And basically what would happen is if somebody called in a UFO setting, the RCMP would have to respond to it and they would have to investigate it. And they weren't allowed to finish their shift until the report was submitted to the department of national defense. And there was a couple of reports, uh, that I come across and it's kind of funny having worked, uh, for the RCMP, I kind of know, um, how I could almost envision how it played out, but, uh, I guess a couple of guys left their shift, uh, before this UFO report was submitted to uh department of national defense. So when they came back to work, um, there's memos on the files and that got disclosed, uh, Basically, like crapping all over the officer for not having submitted it to uh, the Department of National Defense because that was one thing they were super strict on is if you investigate UFOs, then you got to document it right away and send it off to uh, DND for further investigation.
0: Hmm. So that's, uh, that's really interesting. You know, yeah, that they,
1: that they took it so seriously at that time. They did. They took it very seriously, and then it kind of stopped in the 80s. Um, I mean, if you called the police, they, they would still respond to a UFO sighting and, and they, they still do, um, it's just not as frequent and it's not as uh, high priority, I guess, as it was back then.
0: Right. Well, it's funny that you know that it would go to the Department of Defense as well because uh, our ex-Canadian uh, Minister of Defense, Paul Hellier is uh, well-known uh, mostly for his whistleblowing um, and his time during, uh, uh, you know, coming out with uh, all the UFO, uh, well, the knowledge that he has from being the Minister of Defense and saying that we've been in contact with something like over 56 different species of uh, ETs. And he was saying unequivocally that this is real. You know, the governments of the world know about it. And, uh, you know, basically, you know, people like us took him seriously but a lot of you know, I guess a lot of other people were like, "Oh, he's he's a crazy old man now, and he's just trying to sell his books and everything else." But uh, I wonder if he was the uh, the minister of defense back around that time. That's uh, yeah, and that's and that's really interesting. I remember reading
1: some stuff about that, and I just read recently that uh, there was a U.S. senator that sits on the intelligence committee, and he was talking about. Uh, being briefed about UFOs recently flying over US military installation um, sites and saying that they have, the military's telling the intelligence committee this, that they have no idea what these things are or or what they are. And and obviously it's cause for concern. Mm. So Elliot, do you believe that uh, with being with the RCMP and doing investigations, and do you find that that really helped in your uh, paranormal investigations? Do they Are they similar in some way? Yeah, they are. And I definitely I have definitely taken some of the skill sets I learned with the RCMP and um, uh, brought them to like my parapsychological investigations. And one of those things, obviously, is interviewing, um, you get extensive interviewing training with law enforcement. Um, so and dealing with the paranormal most of our stuff comes from human experiences and in order to get those human experiences you have to interview people or speak to people and and get those details out of them so uh interviewing has definitely improved and also uh i treat um i just wrote this up for a course i was taking actually but i treat um after an investigation i treat all the items from that investigation like an exhibit so for example there's one person at the end of the investigation that would be like your exhibit custodian that would take all the recorders all the cameras all the um, laptops anything that has data on it goes to one person they download it um, save it analyze it and then they'll let us look at it uh, you know afterwards or whatever um but in the meantime it's just kind of treated so that it's not bouncing around or like hey where did my recorder go that i need to download the data from oh it's been sitting in the back of the car for two weeks or whatever it just kind of has more credibility to the way that you you treat the evidence that you collect or uh, from an investigation what sort of equipment uh, are you using on in your investigations um Right now we have a electromagnetic field radiation detector. And the reason for that is, uh, you know, there's been some studies that have suggested that if an apparition appears in the environment, that that's one of the things that changes. Um, We also have a FLIR thermometer, uh, which is really great because not only uh, does it collect surface temperatures, that's the other thing people um, sometimes don't know about the laser thermometers or the FLIR thermometer is that it doesn't detect the temperature in between the air so if you feel a cold spot between you and your friend it's not going to capture that temperature it's going to capture surface temperature because that's where the laser is hitting um, but it's really, it's really cool, like the FLIR, because you can get like the thermal imaging. And if you like put your hand on the wall for two seconds and pull it away and, and shoot the FLIR at it, you'll actually see your hand print on the wall. So theoretically, you know, if you're hearing footsteps and stuff like that coming towards you, you can point the FLIR at the ground and see if you see any footprints or anything like that. The only problem with the paranormal is uh, in most cases, actually, thermometers don't actually pick up Temperature change—it's the human perception and, and what we feel. So most people report feeling a cold spot, but our equipment doesn't really pick up on it. But it's still important to have. Um, we're really excited. Uh, we just ordered—it's um, uh, basically a gas detector. And a lot of the, a lot of these tools, like there's no real tool made specifically for ghost hunting. We we don't have any piece of technology that can actually detect human consciousness. So these are all tools that are just used, like an EMF reader is used by, uh, you know, electricians. And uh, so this gas meter is used a lot, uh, a lot of times by oil field workers and stuff like that. But two things that it's, uh, I'm excited to test out is uh, it detects uh, CO2. And there's been some recent studies saying that uh, CO2 carbon monoxide has been related to uh, people seeing... Um, apparitions and experiencing haunting activity because of the uh, you know change in the in the brain and stuff like that from carbon monoxide poisoning basically, and then the other thing is it uh, detects uh, H2S gas which has a sulfuric smell so. Uh, that I find is really interesting in uh, the events of like dynamic hauntings and stuff like that because that's one thing people always report is the smell of sulfur or uh, rotten meat or anything like that so um, really really excited to get this new piece of piece of equipment sent to us
0: oh yeah uh, I just want to go back to one of your books here um, Evil and Exeter I just I just pulled it up and, and looked at a quick uh, little um, inf- information spot on it uh it seems like uh this family had quite went through quite the ordeal and it says uh there was a chance meeting with a canadian police officer who was you obviously who have to be a paranormal investigator uh how did all this come about and can you tell us a little bit more about uh, this home and it was rhode island right yeah it was in rhode island uh it's kind
1: of a kind of a mix i guess between like the conjuring and amityville whore
0: yeah it sure uh, sounds
1: like it but uh but and uh, um it's definitely the biggest case that i that i've worked on uh basically what happened is i met a girl on instagram and i started talking to her back and forth uh she had looked like uh dana scully and so i made a comment just saying like hey you look like dana scully she sent me a private message saying uh, i actually want to top 10 lookalike for Jillian Anderson, sent me a picture of the magazine. I thought that was really cool. And we started talking and I was single at the time. So I decided, you know what? It's like, you only live once. So I'm going to fly down there. I'm going to rent a hotel. Maybe we can hang out for the weekend. You can show me around Rhode Island. I've never been there. Um, so it was really cool. I got the, she showed me like where the conjuring house was. She showed me uh, where the devil's footprints are in North Kingston. Uh, I got this, like a bunch of cool, you know, sites down there. Uh, Mercy Brown, she's an alleged vampire that's buried right next to her. So um, got to see a lot of cool things. Uh, kept in touch with her. And then the second time when I decided to go down, she said uh, I could stay at her house, but she warned me. She said, like, uh, we've, you know, my whole family's had haunting experiences our whole life. We were on the TV show uh, that was done by uh, TAPS, the Atlantic. Uh, Ghost Hunters. Go, yeah, ghost hunters. That's it. Sorry, right. um, that they, they were on that show, and I actually found the episode, and um, the episode matched the story that she was telling me. And uh, so, anyways, I'm like, oh yeah, as like I used to investigate the paranormal, not too worried about that and whatever. So I get down there, and pretty much as soon as I get down there, activity um, starts to happen. Uh, her her two kids didn't sleep for four days straight. They kept hearing scratching noises on their wall. And as a police officer, like I'm like, okay, well, I'll go outside and take a look. Maybe it's like a squirrel at the windowsill or uh, maybe the tree branches are too close to the window, but there was absolutely nothing like even near the window. Um, We couldn't hear the scratches ourselves, but the kids kept saying that every time they try and fall asleep that uh, they'd hear the scratching. Um, I heard footsteps approach me, uh, three distinct steps approach me. Um, there was a time I was in, uh, the little boy's bedroom doing a house blessing. And I saw the doorknob turn as if somebody was coming in. And so I stopped for a second and waited, no one came in and I went and opened the door and there was nobody there. Um, and, uh, the nearest person was, uh, downstairs. There was another time at, uh close to three o'clock in the morning, the fire alarms started going off in the house on their own. And uh, it was one of those systems where if one goes off, they all go off. They're all connected and they would not turn off. There was no fire. The only way that they would turn off uh, ironically is earlier that day, we had been to the Catholic church and had got some holy water and they would only turn off individually once splashed with, uh, with holy water. There was like house flies, like hundreds of house flies showing up, uh, out of nowhere. Like doors and windows were closed. There's no way that they could get in. We had to buy those like strips, and within like minutes, there was like over sixty flies caught on, uh, caught on the the fly stick sticky paper. Uh, there was strange uh, cell phone messages. So Haley's uh, routine is uh, pre-kindergarten in the States, you have a choice sending your child to uh, the morning class or the afternoon class. So her daughter went to school full-time. The son went in the afternoon for a half day. So daughter was gone. It was just uh, Haley and her son. They went downstairs to do their morning routine, which is to make sure the cats have uh, water and food. And they, uh, when she came upstairs, her phone was lit up as if somebody had sent her a text message. So she thought it was me or her mother. So she checked it. And it said, um, Hey, Suri, Malik, dirty girl. And, she, and the response said, uh, In my realm, you can be anything. And so she sent, she took a screen capture of it and called me at work. And uh, she was freaking out. And I'm like, Okay, I was like, Well, calm down. Like, we'll figure it out. Like, maybe, you know, I'm thinking maybe her son spoke into the phone or something like that. You know, I'm trying to think reasonable and uh did a few tests i did one on my phone i did one on my buddy that is also with at&t network down in the states he's my uh, co-founder i had him do it on his phone and i had another friend uh in nova scotia do it on his phone and the three of us all got the same response which was not in my realm you can be anything um so obviously ios wasn't programmed to, for you to say that and, and get that response and so i started thinking well maybe the name malik Uh, is this entity's name so I started doing some research and what I came across was um, the name Malik which actually before before I did the research on that two other things happened so the other thing was is uh, her son had brought her a photograph uh, that he had drawn and it was a stick figure with like blue swirls all around it and she said what's what's this photo And and he said that's the boy that likes to play in the fire in the toy room and she's like, what? And he's like, yeah, I see this boy that likes to play in my toy room and he's always surrounded by fire. So she's like, okay. So she, you know, updates me on that. And then it was getting close to noontime. So she went to go get him dressed and the statue of uh, the Virgin Mary that she keeps on the kid's armoire was face down on the floor. And it had been there for roughly six months and had never moved And again, I chalked that up to, you know, maybe the kids had bumped the armoire and it fell over. That's possible. Um, I've seen them actually climb on this thing to turn the TV off though, and it never falls over or moves, but I mean, it is possible. I can't rule that out uh, because, you know, it wasn't, I didn't see it and it wasn't recorded. So I started doing some research on the name Malik and it actually turned out that uh, there's a demon in the Quran named uh, Malik and Malik is kind of like a higher up demon that's in charge of um, basically like hell and like punishment in hell. And he um, is kind of like a torturer. Uh, He's got like 19 other demons underneath them. Um, He's kind of known as a tormentor and um, he's considered like a king or like an archangel uh, in the Quran. And, it was interesting because several years before this all happened, there was, he, I assume he was from an Arabic background, but he was a medium and he had reached out to Haley's sister and said, I have a message to pass along to your sister. And he said, there's a jinn attached to your sister. That's not very nice. And of course, when I, I know, I'd never heard of the term jinn. So I looked it up and basically jinn in the Quran is uh, basically a demon and they can be good or bad. Uh, but this this fellow had said specifically that it was bad. So after all those, like, three events or whatever, I booked another trip to come down. And, and again, like I said, when I was down, things were happening. Doors were opening, closing. And eventually we had to call in a uh, a medium to help help clear the house. Uh, the family did have a Roman Catholic priest. Um, Father Bob Bailey, actually, he's been on a few paranormal documentaries he's with the – Providence uh, diocese but uh, unfortunately he had been transferred out of deliverance work which is the the proper term for like exorcism type work and he was working in the hospitals at the time so he was unable to help us so I had to resort to uh, using a medium that we we trusted.
2: You uh, you made mention about uh, doing a house blessing what was all involved with that?
1: Um, I had uh, after I'd reached out to Father Bailey uh, and he couldn't help us he gave us a few of the prayers that they use, um, in their deliverance work. And there was a house blessing, uh, prayer. So I was just going around each room, uh, with, uh, the sage and holy water and saying the, the house blessing prayer in each room. And again, nothing happened in any of the rooms except for the little boys room. When the doorknob, I actually saw the doorknob turn, I would say three fourths of the way before it should have popped open and then it just stopped. And I opened the door up, and it was only Haley and I in the house at the time. And she was downstairs in the kitchen while I was uh, doing the house blessing.
0: Well, um, I certainly want people to purchase your book and download it. Um, and I don't want you to give away the ending, <laughs> so <laughs> so to speak. But was there a, a positive uh, ending to all this? Or, or there, like- there there was a there was a
1: positive ending. Yes, um, you know, uh, there's been no activity at the house now for uh, going on in a couple of years, and. And uh, it worked out worked out for the family, but it was um, it, it it rattled me. Like I'll I'll be honest. Like I always thought, oh, it'd be cool to live in a haunted house, and maybe it would be cool if like it was your grandmother or something haunting the house. But when it's something that
0: um, yeah, careful what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: yeah when, when it's something that um, is not so nice, it's uh, it actually felt like a relief when I would come home uh, and had a break from all the activity. Did, um, did you ever Did you ever take anything home with you? Uh, no, you know what, I haven't. Uh, a funny story with that, and I didn't think she was serious, but, but I guess when I was young, uh, like I was telling you, when I just started out investigating uh, the paranormal, my mother, I guess, used to hide uh, blessed medallion, religious medallions, like in my clothing and stuff like that, and I thought she was just joking. She told me this years later, and I thought she was joking. Anyway, I ended up finding one of my old suits um, that I used to wear, and uh, sure enough, in the breast pocket there was a religious medallion in there. So she wasn't uh, she wasn't kidding. She actually would worry about me going out on these investigations, and I hadn't worried about it until uh, that file in Exeter, and uh, you know that's when I I realized that uh, you definitely need
0: to be careful doing this this type of work for sure. It seems like your mom was more worried about your paranormal investigating rather than you being on the street, you know, (laughs) answering uh, calls as a police officer. Oh, definitely. Yeah. No, she was, she was (laughs) more worried about this. She,
1: uh, she herself um, I'd say if she worked on her skills, she could probably be uh, a medium, but um, she, uh, uh, she always has uh, like psychic dreams, uh, like precognition dreams. Uh, There was one time she, I was just a little boy and I, My brother's a couple of years younger than me and we were going to go outside to play. And she grabbed me before we went outside and she said, watch your brother in the parking lot with all the cars. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was about to run outside. She grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me back. And she said, no, I'm serious. She said, "Um, you know, I had a dream last night that this car was speeding through the subdivision and and almost hit your brother. And she said, watch, you know, watch it when you're outside playing. And sure enough, it wasn't only a few minutes after she said that uh, this car came flying uh, and it had two speed bumps like in the middle of the townhouses and he just came flying and like airlifted up off the, uh, the speed bump and my brother was going to run out into the middle and I had to grab him by the back of his coat and yank him back. Wow. And, uh, so I went in and, and told my mother right away. And uh, another time, she had a dream that one of my dad's coworkers' uh, father uh, was going to die of a heart attack, and he thought she was crazy. And the next day, when he went to work, uh, his coworker wasn't at work, and he found out that his dad had died of a heart attack. Oh, no,
0: your mom never have any dreams about winning lottery numbers or anything like that. No, she does play the six forty nine, but she has <laughs> not. She has not won. <laughs> it, it never. It never. Uh, you know, they never give up the good stuff, right? no <laughs> it's always oh, bad it seems yeah yeah it's that that crazy universe doesn't doesn't want us to win the lottery but it'll show us all these horrible things definitely mm-hmm.
1: you've been uh, called on a few times by um numerous television programs uh how did that come yeah out? um Mostly just like, you know, people just kind of reach out. Uh, I, I, I reached out a few times to a few of the local newspapers when I was looking for investigations. Or there was one point where we were really short on members and we were looking for investigators. But for the most part, yeah, just uh, I guess people probably look up the website and, and contact us. Uh, kind of like, you know, how you guys contacted me. And uh, I never uh, I never really turn an opportunity down I, I, I love talking about the paranormal and uh i listened to your podcast uh with your last guest and she said the same thing like it's just her passion and that's the way i feel as well just like a passion i have and so i love talking about it and um, before covid happened i was going around doing lectures at the, the local libraries um, for free like just uh, i i do a haunting lecture and people would come to that and um did a documentary on discovery channel several years ago about a haunted house in Dartmouth. And, um, right now, uh, myself and my colleague, Daryl Walsh, um, we're both, uh, working with our producer friend and uh, trying to get a TV series on the go and, uh, there's some interest in it. So we're just kind of waiting for the final go ahead for that. But, uh, yeah, you might, might see us on TV here in the near, near future.
0: That's very cool. So is Nova Scotia known for its hauntings at all? Or is there certain locations that are hot spots, so to speak, like we talk about Amityville and, and we, we hear a lot, you know, The Conjuring House and the East Coast of the US and Canada always seems to be very, very busy haunted locations. And I don't know if that's got something to do with the ocean energy that they feed off from from the water or if it's just the land or or you know who knows but uh it seems like the east coast is a hot spot and uh we don't we've had uh vernon oikel uh i don't know if you're aware of him we've had him on the show and talked about haunted nova scotia yes yeah. but uh can you tell us a little bit more about give some insight as to what's going on out there or Well,
1: I I personally think it's a combination of a few different things. I mean, there's certainly some spots in Nova Scotia that, uh, are unique. For example, Blackett's Lake in Cape Breton, Nova Scotia has had uh, reports of ghost sightings. There's lots of ghost sightings. There's been lots of horrible drownings on the lake. So, um, A lot of people see apparitions late at night, but there's also been uh, UFO sightings around there and people have reported like their compasses fluctuating uh, irregularly and stuff like that. And we know through certain studies such as uh, Michael Persinger when he was still alive uh, with Laurentian University that uh, the Earth's geomagnetic field can affect what we see. Um, I actually have uh, ordered uh, the home version so one of his research assistants got uh, the patents for the god helmet is what it was called and it was a helmet that you put on yourself and it increases the Uh, electromagnetic activity in your brain. And it's supposed to make you more psychic and possibly see apparitions. People have reported seeing ghosts. They've uh, reported seeing religious figures such as Jesus and the Virgin Mary. So I actually, I actually have the device sitting here on my desk. I just haven't had time to uh, put it together and it runs off windows and I use a Mac. So there's a few little complications there that I'm still trying to sort out, but um, it's one of the research things that myself and Daryl Walsh uh, will be working on in the, in the near future. Um, So there's certainly some spots in Nova Scotia that it could be the environment causing, you know, some of these sightings. Uh, The other thing is, is obviously we have a very rich uh, history from uh, the UK here. Um, A lot of our towns and stuff like that, uh, like Inverness, Cape Breton is named after Inverness, Scotland. So there's a lot of, um, there's a lot, actually Nova Scotia itself means new Scotland. So, Uh, there's a lot of history there and a lot of folklore and for example certain parts in Cape Breton like in Inverness they believe that there's fairies and over in Scotland as well that they believe that there's fairies so uh, I I honestly believe that some of this has probably been passed down and where my background is criminology and sociology I find that really interesting um, especially the sociological aspect of it so I think that's part of it And I mean, the East Coast, you always hear the typical, you know, it's laid back back here and uh, it's more open and people are more friendly. And um, I just think that maybe, um, you know, we've done studies in the parapsychological lab that when you're relaxed and you're laid back and you're at peace, you're more susceptible to um, psychic activity or psi activity. And I mean, that could be one of the reasons as well, because the laid back lifestyle people might be a little bit more open and and perceptive to, uh, experiencing these things.
0: It's actually just opening up as far as I'm concerned, you've opened yourself up, uh, and the vibrational level is, uh, you know, is connecting with the, that spiritual world type of thing. So. uh,
1: Yes, absolutely. And, and, and that's what they get you to do during certain, uh, you know, certain laboratory experiments as well, like the Gansfell, for example, is all about um, eliminating uh, your natural senses and tapping into using your sixth sense. And uh, speaking of vibrations as well, another uh, piece of equipment that we have, uh, which we are still training on and and need to learn a little bit more about is the infrasound uh, machine, because there's been studies as well saying that uh, low frequency vibrations have caused people to, you know, experience haunting um, uh, characteristics such as seeing apparitions or hearing things. So um, yeah, there's certainly, we know ghosts exist and I always tell people that we know ghosts exist. uh, We've seen them and been reporting them for thousands and thousands of years, but what is it? You know, we know that certain things in the environment can cause us to see apparitions. Um, is there life after death? You know, we still don't know a whole lot about human consciousness. There's been all kinds of miraculous cases where, uh, you know, uh, people have been frozen to death and clinically dead and they've woken up and not had a near death experience or don't recall anything, but then there's uh, other people that have had the same experience and then they do have a near death experience. So, um, you know, is it something chemical or biological with our body, that people experience the near death experience or, you know, is it something supernatural? There's just so many things that we don't know and and don't understand don't have the technology yet to, uh, you know, to really solidify this. And I think that's why mainstream science tends to stay away from parapsychology just because it's so, it is so vague because, uh, you know, we just don't, we just don't have the technology, I
0: guess, to detect what we're investigating. Mm-hmm. to an extent. Elliot, your other book, Supernatural Encounters, True Paranormal Accounts from Law Enforcement, uh, you, you, and I, you and I have spoken uh, through email. Um, you used to be a police officer. I've been in law enforcement for about 20 years. Uh, and I love, you know, stories like that. And I have some of my own from working. Uh, can you share us a story that really stands out for uh, Yeah. One of the coolest stories in
1: the book that a lot of people like uh, came from my friend that works at the Halifax Provincial Courthouse on Spring Garden Road here in Halifax. And they used to hang people on the property way back in the day. And across the road from the courthouse uh, is the old public library, um, which there are many bodies buried underneath the the ground, uh, mostly from the court days. They would you know, hang the people and then throw them across the road and bury them. (laughs) So the library's literally buried on this unmarked, uh, you know, unholy type land. Um, So in the courthouse, what they would do after the gallows were done, you know, their lifespan from from hanging people's, they wouldn't waste anything back then. So a lot of the wood from the gallows uh, were used during uh, renovation periods for the courthouse so one of the most haunted spots at the courthouse is the upstairs attic there was a janitor that had actually witnessed an apparition up there unfortunately he passed away by the time I was researching the book so I couldn't speak to him I could only speak to the sheriffs that knew him Um, but uh, they said that he had seen an apparition up there and he was terrified he would never go back to the attic to uh, to clean up again the other thing that my my friend told me is that every time they did renovations on the courthouse they would always find these shoes these old leather shoes hidden underneath floorboards and in the wall and stuff like that. I thought that was really interesting. So I started doing some research on it and uh, it's actually something that humans have been doing for several hundreds of years. So uh, archeologists and anthropologists have found uh, that, back in the day, people thought that hiding leather shoes and other strange materials, such as a, a dried out dead cast and things like that into your walls would actually ward off evil spirits and demons and stuff like that. So the, the courthouse is actually has all these like leather shoes buried throughout it. So I thought that was, that was really interesting. And uh, one night he was working with uh, two other sheriffs and two cleaners. So there was five of them and they kind of broke up their, um, their uh, duties for the night and so in the Halifax provincial courthouse there's a grand staircase as soon as you walk in and underneath the staircase is like a secure door that leads to the eventually to cells and to the judges chambers and stuff like that so my my friend decided to take that patrol and make sure everything's secure and he swiped his card he said and he went to open the door and it just started opening and something behind it grabbed it and slammed it shut And he said, uh, this is an old courthouse, so it doesn't have uh, the best like air conditions and things like that. So um, he he said it wasn't like a heat pump or it wasn't, you know, the windows weren't open. It wasn't a draft basically is what he was trying to say, but something had ripped that door from him. So he quickly swiped his card again, thinking that maybe a prisoner somehow got out of the cells and he opened the door and he said, once you're into the hallway, it's a very long uh, hallway with nowhere to go. And he said, there was absolutely nobody there. And, um, he said, uh, just like he got like a, a cold feeling come over him. And, and he said, uh, that was the only experience that he had had at the house besides seeing these uh, leather shoes and stuff like that, buried, buried, uh, in the walls and the floorboards. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a very, very interesting place. Uh, I mean, you can imagine the residual energy that would be associated to, uh, the wood that was used in the gallows and then having it, uh, you know, used during renovations for a courthouse.
0: Right. Even, even the explosion, um, that Halifax had way back when, uh, uh, and we spoke about that with, uh, Mr. Oikle when he was on the show. Um, yes.
1: He probably talked about, uh, I'd imagine he probably mentioned the five fishermen restaurant. You mentioned that. Oh uh, no! But go ahead. <laughs> so, so the Five Fishermen restaurant is a fantastic uh, restaurant, actually. If if you like seafood as well, they they do have other things other than seafood. But obviously, it's a uh, called the Five Fishermen, so it's mostly seafood. Um, but it used to be a funeral home, and it actually housed the bodies from the Titanic when the Titanic sunk. They uh, had some of the bodies from there because we have over a hundred people from the Titanic buried here in Halifax, and it also. Acted as uh, a house for the bodies from the Halifax explosion, so it is a very uh, old and haunted restaurant, and it's usually the upstairs bathroom that people report experiences. And uh, some people have seen a man with a with a tall hat on up there. Um, I've been there several times. I haven't had any experiences. The last time I was there, though, I asked a waiter that I had if he, um, you know, had any experiences while working there. He said he didn't personally, but he pointed to his friend that was working at the bar, and he said the bartender has. He said he told us one night that he was closing up, and he was upstairs near the the bathrooms, and there's also staff offices up there. And he said he's walking down towards the office, and he could hear the sound of metal hit the floor. And he turned around, and he found an old skeleton key that had just materialized out of nowhere. Um, And uh, so anyway, he ended up bringing it into the office to, for the manager but um they also said that you know staff obviously experienced typical restaurant type haunting characteristics with glass breaking and opening uh, up and finding chairs taken down and you know just your typical um your typical like restaurant type stuff that you would expect during a
0: haunting have you ever asked them to investigate the restaurant i haven't
1: i haven't asked them personally i know um I know they're, uh, they would probably let you in after hours. I know like obviously during hours, they they probably wouldn't, but, uh, no, I've never, I've never asked them to.
0: And are people pretty perceptive or are they standoffish when you approach them and ask them, you know, to investigate locations? Or do you wait for people to come to you? I
1: mostly,
0: I mostly do wait
1: for people to come to me. There are, um, three spots. But uh, they're all private residences, I do believe, that we want to reach out to. Um, There's stories about a house on Bears Road uh, that's been going on since like the 50s or 60s that Daryl wants to reach out uh, to. There's a house that we investigated uh, out in St. Margaret's Bay uh, before. And one of our investigators, uh, when he finished his night shift and he went back to the car, he had somebody follow him. He could hear the footsteps on the gravel. And he'd stop and turn and there'd be nobody there. And he'd continue walking towards his car and then he'd hear the footsteps again and he'd stop and look and there would be nobody there. Um, So uh, we want to reach out to the new owners of that house and see if they've had uh, any experiences as well. And then uh, there was another house in uh, Cape Breton that uh, we just recently uh, approached. Uh, There was nobody home, left a business card and stuff like that, but um, never heard back.
0: Mm. Maybe one of the spirits stole the business card before the homeowner saw it. <laughs> you never know. You never know.
1: I even, uh, even really, re, uh, recently put a uh, ad on Kijiji, like just a free ad, um, you know, saying that, uh, we're around if, if you have anything for us to check out, I find it's been very, it's been very slow here. I know other places are, are busy, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I find it's been very slow. Uh, even inquiries, like every once in a while, you'll get an inquiry to take a look at a photo or a video. And we haven't had that in a little while, although those are so difficult now. And I always talk about that. Uh, even friend, like before I got into the RCMP, our forensic unit was even having trouble telling uh which photos and videos were real and not real and now there's this uh i think they call it deep fake technology and you may have seen it but it's like where they can take like a photo from the 1800s and the software scans the face and then you'll have the photo and it looks like the guy's moving and he might open his mouth or he might like scrunch his nose up and um you know the technology now is just getting so crazy that mm-hmm. when somebody sends you a ghost photo or a video and asks you like you know is this a ghost or whatever the best we can do is like take a look at it you can see if certain things have been changed on it like obviously with pictures you know uh, software can check pixels if they've been changed or whatever but at the end of the day electronic evidence is just becoming so hard to uh you know, to make a definitive call on. It's not like yeah. the 1936 uh, photo of uh, <laughs> Raynham Hall where, you know, you had the negative and they sent that to multiple experts and, you know, it was double exposure and um, you just don't get stuff like that anymore.
0: No. Rachel, I saw you jotting some stuff down. Uh, Elliot, uh, Rachel's our resident psychic medium and she often picks things up on some of our guests. And sometimes I see her furiously writing and sometimes I don't, and I started writing down a little bit, so spill the beans there.
2: (laughs) Spill the beans, oh my goodness. Okay, yeah, I did, I did write down a a few things for you, just uh, as we were chatting with you. That's Um, why she's
0: so quiet all the time, she's (laughs) always, she's always focusing on the spirits and her writing there. (laughs)
1: <laughs>
0: hopefully Take- i don't have any bad ones that have been hanging out in my mouth well just that creepy picture behind you <laughs> yeah
2: yeah yeah We'll we'll ignore that one <laughs> um no i just got pretty positive stuff for you um uh i felt a really strong male energy around you too that was trying to encourage you to keep going with the trusting your instincts you you do but just kind of keep going with that um And what you're working towards, you will succeed at that. It's just, um, you're going to like run into people that are more willing to help you down the road. And it just kind of like doors just keep opening is what I got for you. Um, And there, I I get to like, you might have like little signs coming to you that you're not actually really noticing. So you're, you're asked to kind of maybe pay a little more attention to those and daydreaming for you is a good thing. Cause that actually is um, it's what you act upon. Those little daydreams you get, that's what your, your helps you. So act upon those a little bit more and remember to have a healthy balance between work and home.
1: <laughs> that's a, uh, it's interesting that you said uh, about the signs, because I always, um, uh... I always say that like I am like the least psychic person uh on the planet. <laughs> so so it's kind of funny that you say that because that would not surprise me at all. <laughs>
2: yes, there I got very indicating that like we're giving him signs and he's just like, eh. <laughs>
0: Have you been finding dimes at your home or in odd places at all? No, I haven't. I still have the pennies from the the Kentville case in my
1: file cabinet here in the office, but um no, I, uh, I haven't uh, had any coins or anything I did recently purchase and I'm disappointed because nothing's happened, but I do realize that sometimes hauntings can take a while, but, um, kind of an interesting thing, Daryl and I are kind of interested in heart, uh, haunted artifacts. And he had bought uh, a painting, um, called the crying boy, um, the, over from the artist over in the UK. And I guess like this guy made all these like crying boy, different paintings and stuff like that. And they weren't selling very well. And, um, like basically people buy these and they get cursed and their houses are burned down and the painting has not melted. Um, actually I saw one lab analyze the painting and the reason why the painting survived, although everything else in the house perished, is because whatever the artist puts on the painting actually protects it. It's like a fire retardant. Oh. And, uh, so that was the reason it's not, you know, anything supernatural, but, you know, it's still kind of cool. So, uh, one day I'm just, you know, scanning Facebook, and I saw in one of the paranormal Facebook groups or whatever, somebody po- posted this image of this haunted, ugly monkey, and uh, it said, um, you know, they're like, well, "What the heck's this?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's like that's kind of interesting, right?" So I, I did my research and saw if I could track down the owner of it. So I ended up finding out that the owner uh, of it lives in Missouri, and managed to track him down. So I asked him. I said, "What's the story with this item?" And uh, he said that. Uh, His parents own a flea market down there. So they go around and they buy different things and resell it. And this gentleman had created this monkey. And for whatever reason, they don't know why. And he shortly after died and his sisters went into his house and cleaned everything out and sold everything. And they hated this monkey. So they definitely wanted to get rid of this monkey. So the flea market owner's um, son took the monkey. And he told me that he has actually seen it. Uh, move position out of the corner of his eye, him and his girlfriend would go to work and come home, find the monkey in a different place. It started to really like freak them out. So uh, she made them lock them up in a trunk with a, um, like a padlock on it. And so they were selling it. So I went back to the list of items that he was selling to see if there was any other like haunted items that he was selling, because I know eBay and like Etsy can be ripe for, uh, you know, fraudulent haunted vessels and uh, there was nothing. So Anyway, I took the risk on it and uh, purchased it and it arrived. So I have it uh, here in my office and I set up, uh, I, I checked it out with the, the FLIR and the EMF reader and there was nothing. And uh, I set up a Nest camera uh, because we have three Nest cameras and they send alerts to, um, to your phone and anything like that. Uh, the only thing that it did was send two alerts, and when I watched the video, it was the sun coming in through the window, just kind of changing the dynamics of my office. There was no movement from the the monkey, so I'm I'm still monitoring that situation.
0: All the bananas aren't going missing from your kitchen. No, there's been no, no bananas missing. I got him
1: sitting. I have a movie replica of uh, the doll Annabelle, and uh, he's sitting in the case with her. And uh, there's been no movement from the two of them, so. <laughs> any other new books in the works or anything you've got going just uh yeah just the more supernatural encounters from law enforcement i probably have roughly maybe 30 stories collected already Mm -hmm. um you know uh some new stuff there's an update on the bushman I, i had a friend reach out to me that worked in wati and uh he told me about his experience with the bushman which is a bigfoot creature that the people of wati believe um are in their community and, and it's responsible for kidnapping children and bush camp workers. Uh, there's some more UFO sightings. Uh, there's a really cool near death experience that, um, a police officer witnessed. So, uh, uh yeah, it's, uh, it, it's coming along. It's, it's busy for sure, between the writing and the researching and, uh, you know, preparing for the TV series coming up and, finished taking two courses from the Ryan education center. So I'm always doing something now that I'm retired. I'm probably busier now than I was working. No
0: kidding. So anybody who's interested in one of your books, they can find it on Amazon, I guess.
1: Yeah. Amazon's the best. I mean, like they, they're just so fast at their shipping. Uh, the price is the, you know, it's, it's reasonable. And most people have Prime, so it's free shipping. Um, Indigo Chapters has it online. And in the Halifax Regional Municipality area, they actually have it in the store. And if you're listening from the United States, Barnes & Noble has it on their website as well. But again, Amazon uh, is uh, it's probably your best bet.
0: Amazon's the way to go. Yeah. Have, and the package is
1: showing up from Amazon all the time. So. <laughs> and if people want to get a hold of you? Um, our website is www. P P R I. And that stands for paranormal phenomena, research and investigation.net. And uh, it's got our contact info on there. It's got our uh, biography on me and Daryl. We're like two main guys because uh, you know, we're the ones with the parapsychological background. Um, It's got a few other podcasts that we've been on. If the people have shared the link or the media file with us, we usually put that up there and um, it's got all our social media accounts on there and,
0: Elliot, thank you so much. That was uh,
1: that was great. You're a good storyteller. I really appreciate you guys reaching out and asking me to come on the show. So, absolutely. Thank you so much. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction@outlook.com. At